holding a pretty big stick right now because a lot of U.S. companies which are limping along in their home markets are surviving purely because of the business that they're doing in China. Um, and China could make it quite frosty for them if, if it wanted to. Ben, thanks very much indeed. That's Ben Cavender, Principal at the China Market Research Group. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. And let's take a final look at the markets this morning. First of all, down in Australia, the ASX 200 is up about three quarters of 1%. The Nikkei 225 in Japan also rising at the open, about two thirds of a percent. Uh, the Cosby in South Korea is flat right now, and it does look like the Hang Seng is going to continue its slide when trading starts in an hour's time, losing about 100 points at the open. In the commodities markets, Brent crude oil is trading at $44.85 a barrel and gold is trading at $2,033 an ounce. And little change in the US dollar, just a touch weaker against the yen at 105 and three quarters. Thank you very much for listening this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning at 8 o'clock with more Money Talk. The weather forecast for today, mainly fine and very hot, apart from isolated showers. There is a very hot weather warning in force. Maximum temperature is going to be around 34 degrees. And the outlook is for it to be mainly fine and very hot tomorrow. Occasional showers in the following couple of days. Temperature right now is 29 degrees, 82% relative humidity. 8.31 and a half, here's Samantha Butler with the half-hour news. Apple Daily has reported that its founder, Jimmy Lai, has been arrested under the new national security law. It says he's accused of colluding with foreign forces and was taken away from his home in Homantin early this morning. The paper says one of Mr Lai's sons, Ian, was also arrested at his home in Saikung. The total number of coronavirus cases recorded in the United States has risen above 5 million. The figure is far higher than any other country. In the past week, Donald Trump insisted everything possible was being done to control the outbreak. Here's the BBC's David Willis. As well as accounting for about a quarter of the coronavirus cases globally, this country also leads the world in the number of deaths from the coronavirus, more than 162,000, according to Johns Hopkins. Five states, Florida, Texas, Georgia, California and New York, account for about 40% of the infections. But there have been signs in recent weeks that the virus is spreading from the so-called Sunbelt states in the southeast and the southwest and into the Midwest. Hundreds of volunteers in Mauritius are taking part in a frantic operation to stop a massive oil spill from reaching the island's white sand beaches. They've been creating large net barriers stuffed with straw and plastic bottles, despite a government plea against what it described as personal initiatives. A thousand tonnes of oil have spilled out of a Japanese-owned ship which ran aground 15 days ago. Girana Berenger is from the opposition Mauritian Militant Movement Party. The government could have done much better given that the ship was stuck on our reef for 12 days before it began to leak. And now in the cleanup, government services are ill-equipped and overwhelmed. So from all around the country, volunteers have come to the southeast of the island to do their part. You're listening to the news on RTHK.
morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Hugh Chewis and your co-host today, Mike Rouse. Mike, good morning to you. Good morning, Hugh. We're talking today about COVID-19, domestic helpers and testing. The politics will be on the agenda tomorrow. Well, health authorities have announced widespread testing for domestic helpers who have been staying in boarding facilities arranged by employment agencies. Last week, two helpers who had stayed in boarding houses in between jobs were diagnosed with the virus, raising fears other guests could have been infected. At least one NGO has urged the government to carry out inspections of boarding houses, saying the places are cramped and poorly ventilated. There have also been calls for the government to provide food and accommodation for helpers in this situation. At the same time, the chief executive has announced a new voluntary testing programme among the wider population. She said the test, conducted with the support of the central government, can start in two weeks' time. What's your take? Are the hostels hotbeds? Should employers be making special arrangements for their helpers on Sundays and public holidays? You can leave a message on our Facebook page, Bankchat and RTHK Radio 3. You can email us, bankchat at rthk.hk, or you can call us, and our telephone number is 233 we look forward to hearing from you. 233-88266 is the number. Just a couple of emails uh, on the related topics. Uh, Herman says, given the COVID-19 concerns, will people here be forced to do without maids? How will their laundry get done? Will their pristine apartments start to look like cage homes? Will we see protests demanding the government teach people how to wash a car? If locals want to emigrate to the UK or USA, they'd better get used to living without maids. That comes from Herman. Uh, S says, uh, so now there are facilities for mass testing. There will presumably be a lot of people gathering for testing, as we've seen in clips in Siwan Shan. However, the elections have been postponed as there'll be a risk of infection. How are these two scenarios different as far as risk of infection is concerned? Where is the logic that comes from S? Backchat at rthk.hk uh, is our email address. Uh, joining us for the first part of uh, this programme, uh, between now and nine o'clock, we're joined once again by Siddharth Sridhar, a clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong, and Iman Volanoeva, a spokesman for the Asian, uh, Asian Migration coordinating body. Uh, Mr Villanueva, maybe we'll start with you. Good morning. Hi, good morning. Thank you much indeed for, for joining us. Um, what is the situation? How, how many of these, I didn't really know about these, these boarding facilities and these, these hostels. Um, how widespread are they in, in Hong Kong? And, and you know, how, do they, how are they typically run? What are the conditions like in these hostels where the helpers stay? Well, uh, these dormitories are actually a, a result of government of the Philippines and later on the government of Indonesia's uh, decision uh, to pass on the responsibility of providing uh, uh, dormitories uh, for the uh, migrant workers uh, uh, to the employment agencies. So it has been going on for many years. Uh, we were actually uh, protesting it. Uh, we, we, we believe that, that this kind of uh, uh, dormitories or uh, halfway house should be run by the uh, Philippine consulate or the Indonesian consulate themselves, uh, simply because uh, the uh, the employment agencies are not service providers. I mean, uh, they are not. Uh, uh, their orientation is to make profit, and therefore, and in many occasions, they would try to save money rather than to uh, think of how to deliver the best and the you know the uh, most adequate uh, 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 temporary homes for uh, migrant workers. But how does this? Uh, sorry, good morning, Mr. Villanueva. How does this square with the live-in rule for the helpers? Why are well, they allowed to not live in? Okay, if I, I mean technically, the, those who are uh, staying in the dormitories are not yet employed. So they, they they are those who are in the middle of, let's 
finding new employers. Right. Uh, but these these agencies are the ones who brought them here to to uh, Hong Kong, and therefore that so-called responsibility of uh, providing them uh, uh, temporary homes was actually uh, one of the requirements of the uh, these consulates in order for them to get their uh, you know to give them uh, the uh, license uh, or the accreditation to uh, hire domestic workers, to bring in domestic workers from the Philippines or either from Indonesia. Right. But how, how do they get through immigration? They got, what do uh, they well, show? Uh, basically, they, they already come, uh, they would come here, employed, and then they would be brought to the, uh, to the employer. So it's like a, a few days. Right. Sometimes they would stay there before they are brought to their employers. And, and, and presumably, right, and, yes. and between employment contracts, maybe. Yes, yes. Uh, for example, some are pretty much, their contracts are prematurely terminated. Now, it used to be not, a, well, not really not a problem. For us, it has always been a problem. But, but for the agencies and for the consulates, it used to be not a problem because the existing laws in Hong Kong is that for those who are, whose contracts were terminated, they have to leave Hong Kong within 14 days. Whether they found a new employer or not, they will have to leave uh, uh, the Hong Kong within 14 days. But now it's a different situation with COVID-19. Right. Uh, there are no flights. <laughs> uh, there, there are those who who are uh, you know who arrive in Hong Kong and then their employers doesn't want to bring them in yet, and so they are forced. I mean, the migrant domestic workers are forced to stay in this uh, uh, you know this uh, uh, boarding houses. But they're more likely to get the virus, seems to be. Uh, of course, the chances of getting the virus, I think, is, uh, is always there. Uh, but then, of course, uh, it is uh, higher than before. Why? Because these boarding houses are not, you know, it's uh, not regulated. Uh, I don't think uh, that the Labor Department has actually anything uh, in place to regulate the, the running of all these uh, boarding houses. Uh, what kind of standards are they following? Uh, do they follow the standards of, let's say, halfway house or crisis center operated by the social welfare department? I don't think so. So it's just, you know, uh, I, I, I remember many years ago, uh, well, a few years ago, there was an Indonesian who died in one of the uh, uh, boarding houses being run uh, in North Point by one of these agencies because they were, uh, you know, they were uh, put in one place, in one room, met several of them, and then, unfortunately, the location of that room is on on the uh, uh, top of one lower, you know, low, low-rise building, and then a, a, an air conditioning uh, from the building right beside it fell, and you know it went through the roof of that uh, of that room and killed one Indonesian domestic worker. I mean, these are really unsafe, unhygienic, and poorly regula- regulated boarding houses. Who's responsible for cleaning them then?
Siddharth mm. uh, Sridhar, good morning to you, and thank you for, for joining us once again. Uh, it, you know, it sounds like these dormitories are you know, exactly the kind of place that are, uh, where people are most at risk, and the experience from Singapore was that people living in very close quarters uh, like this are very susceptible to the spread of the disease. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, we need look no further than Singapore for an example of what can go wrong. Uh, so when you have uh, many people living in cramped conditions in such dormitories, sharing toilet facilities or, uh, you know, sleeping and living in the same room, then you create very ideal conditions for uh, massive outbreaks of uh, COVID-19. So there's no doubt that these uh, conditions are very conducive to more COVID-19 outbreaks. What what happened in Singapore? Did they uh, did they split up the dormitories, or how did they tackle it in the end? Do you know? I think it was uh, a mixed uh, policy of uh, basically testing as many of the workers as possible, as well as uh, splitting them up, uh, perhaps uh, to ensure that crowding did not take place. So it was a combination of uh, things that we'll have to examine very closely to address this issue preemptively. Right, because when you talk about, good morning, when you talk about distancing, you're, you're yeah. thin, thinning out the population of the existing facilities, aren't you? You can't do that. Either you send the workers home or you, or you provide more accommodation. Yeah, I think the solution would lie in uh, better outreach to the uh, domestic helper, uh, domestic helpers and uh, leaders in their communities, and also in terms of, uh, as you mentioned, basically providing more accommodation. And uh, that would uh, probably have to involve uh, hostels or hotels, which are actually not doing much business at the moment. Uh, I, I mean, would have to probably open their doors uh, to allow uh, domestic helpers to move in. And who foots who foots the bill would uh, have to be threshed out between the relevant consulates, the Hong Kong government, and the employment agency. But uh, something clearly needs to be done because if if you have so many people living in these kind of uh, boarding facilities, then it's literally a time bomb waiting to go off. Mm. Uh, Iman what's what's your thought on that? Do you think the government should be providing these kind of uh, hostels in this situation, or the the agencies should be, uh, you know, obliged to um, split people up in that way and maybe use hotels and things? Well, I I, I believe the government should should come in uh, and uh, you know provide uh, sufficient and you know, uh, better standards of. Of uh, you know living quarters or dormitories for the migrant workers. Uh, uh, right now, it's just the agencies running everything, and nobody knows you know and uh, how they are running it, uh, and uh, you know they're not following any standards. So they they're just providing them roof. That's it, and uh, they don't they uh, they don't uh, bother to spend more. Uh, you know they would rather uh, spend less than spend more. For these domestic workers. Secondly, I think that the Hong Kong government is also trying to avoid sending uh, domestic workers uh, back home to the Philippines or to Indonesia because it is also because of their existing policy right now they do not allow or at least they have very strict regulation on those coming in. So they would rather keep the, the, the migrant workers in Hong Kong and and uh, you know make them available for. Uh, rehiring uh, by other employers, even even if their employment contracts are pre premature.
be terminated. So, I mean, this government should should do something. I mean, the government of Hong Kong, we are very, very, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, concerned, and in fact, uh, we are also very angry with the way they're handling the situation. You know, right now it's like, you know, they're making it appear that domestic workers are, you know, the, the ones spreading the virus just because of the one case mm-hmm. that happened in the in the dormitory. Of course, we don't. We uh, we think that you know we, we should not take it very lightly, but you know the way they reacted. I mean, yesterday there were like uh, uh, hundreds of police officers uh, sweeping Central and Causeway Bay. You know, uh, sending chilling effect among migrant workers. They they they, they actually uh, you know uh, asked migrant workers uh, to to leave uh, the the usual places where they gather, even though they are practicing social distancing. Just you know. larger than two or, or not because if they were i mean you, did the government arrest well, people or did, no, they, or did they, did they just no, break, break them no, up no no they were they were they were in in groups of two uh in fact we, we our members were roaming around central yesterday they they had uh, you know portable sound system and we have recorded messages uh, uh in our own language uh to, to to tell the people that you know there is this strict policy and that they should not gather but Mr. Renoiro, I, I passed by Hong Kong Bank yes, on Sunday morning and you say groups of two, it looked more like several hundred. Sorry? I passed by HSBC, uh, the headquarters building in Central on Sunday morning and there were hundreds yeah. of domestic helpers uh, sitting well, on the course, ground. You know, if, if you look at them from afar, you will see hundreds of them. But if you go near, you know, that the existing policy is that there should be at least uh, 1.5 to 2 meters apart from each. So, you know, it, it's, it's actually 2 and 2 and 2 and 2. But they don't, you know, they don't, unlike before, you know, if, if you've been to the to Central, to, to Causeway Bay in, in Victoria Park or in Chater Road uh, uh, before the pandemic, you, know, you will see, like, large groups. Like, in one bunch, there will be, like, 15, 20, or even 50 people together. Right. Uh, but but yesterday was so different. And if you if you take a look also from a, you know from a, a more wider view of Chater Road or Chater Garden, it is nearly empty. So I, I would say that generally speaking, migrant domestic workers are following the social distancing rules. They're trying but yesterday to. Yesterday was a really really bad scene. You know, like fifty police officers, uniformed police officers, marching along Chater Road as if they're ready to arrest everyone, and it's just really, really a bad thing. All right, a couple of comments on our Facebook page. Barbara says employers should encourage their helpers staying at home to have a day off, not only be good for their own family, also good for whole society. Matthew says problem is many employers seem happy to send their helpers out to shop during the week, but then refuse to let them out on their day off. What What is the now the experience do you find with, with helpers? Are they being... Uh, uh, are some being kept at home on 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 Sundays? And what's your advice? What do you think that 
what do you think the arrangements should be for for helpers to for their own good, for the protection of them, and and for Hong Kong as a whole, Mr. Villanueva? First. Yes. Well, actually, uh, we have advised our you know our members of our community to to avoid uh, going to places where there are large crowds. So that's as a general you know as a general rule, we always tell them avoid areas with large crowds. But of course, the the the, the minimum the minimum thing is that they should not. Uh, be gathering with more than two. It used to be more than four and not no more than eight, and now, of course, it's no more than two. But uh, we always tell them to do that. But the thing is, uh, uh, many are, you know, reluctant to stay at home because you know what's happening. You know, when, when the nursing workers stay at home, they're practically working, and many of them doesn't have their own room as well. And so, you know, you, you can just imagine the, the feeling of those people who would uh, be forced to stay at home they're actually, you know, staying in the living room together with the family or in the kitchen, uh, you know, trying to get a place, a corner to stay. It's really not a day for them to rest. They would rather go out in a, in a park or in in uh, under the bridge or you know some place where there's uh, at least uh, uh, you know uh, a cover of, uh, from the uh, from the heat or from the sun, and that's a place where people can rest. Uh, I think. Uh, uh, as long as they are practicing social distancing, uh, you know, policy, as well as they are taking, uh, you know, precautionary measures like uh, wearing, uh, always wear masks and uh, bringing in sanit- hand sanitizers, I think it, it generally, I think it's okay for them to, to go out. Just like any other ordinary people in Hong Kong, I mean, every day people go out. Okay, we will come back to this topic in, in a moment. We've got some uh, emails. Backchat at rthk.hk is our address. We'll, if you send us a message, we'll do our best to, to read it out if it's uh, relevant and uh, pithy. Um, uh, it, also, uh, Dr. Stridar, I wanted to know about the, uh, your thoughts on the, uh, this question of uh, universal testing. Uh, which has been uh, raised by the uh, the government last week. Uh, they say that with the help of uh, uh, the central uh, central administration, um, they should be able to test basically everybody or anybody in Hong Kong who wants to do it. That should be underway within a couple of weeks. Um, it, it, how useful is that? Uh, what what do you think about that? What uh, how will that work? You know, what are the pros and cons? Right. Um, I think in theory, it's quite. Uh quite a useful thing. I mean, one of the big problems that uh, Hong Kong has faced is uh, access to testing. So we have had situations arise when, um, you know, uh, uh, when many uh, laboratories had reached their quotas for the day very early, testing could not be provided. It was uh, very expensive for many people who had mild symptoms and just wanted to know whether or not they had COVID-19. So the government's plan is simply an expansion of its existing policy, which is to ensure that uh, testing is accessible to people who uh, need it, and also to conduct what we call mass testing, that is, screen every single individual in some selected settings. For example, the wet market uh, workers in Hong Kong or the uh, uh, foreign domestic helpers and those affected boarding houses, etc. Now, um, the, the the devil is in the details, really. I mean, it, the, how well it works or how effective it's going to be really depends on uh, how it is done. If it is done very well, and if the uptake of the testing is very high among the Hong Kong population, it should actually have a beneficial effect on infection control. 
in that you are catching people earlier uh, with the infection and you're able to isolate them earlier and prevent them from spreading the infection to others. So uh, technically, improving accessibility to testing could actually shorten the duration of the community outbreak uh, that we are seeing uh, to a certain extent. However, um, it has to be done properly in uh, in in facilities that can provide high-quality testing, which basically provide quality assurance to their testing process. Because these, we're talking about sophisticated laboratory tests that are being set up in a very quick manner in an outdoor area. And sorry, sorry. So your, your concern is just on the accuracy of the tests. When you talk about them being done well or being done badly, you're talking about yes. whether they're accurate or not. Not the test itself, but the quality assurance of the process, so how the samples are handled with due attention to patient privacy, um, um, how the samples are manipulated, how the uh, testing is done. These are processes that need to be of uh, sufficient quality. How is the costing issue going to be addressed? Because people were saying that it's $1,500 uh, for a test if you were going to a private doctor. That's that a lot. That will deter a lot of people, would it? Yeah. So if you if you're going to private, it's considerably marked up. So the price is actually much much more expensive than the cost of the test itself. So uh, the the actual process, collecting the sample, not including manpower, but collecting the sample and running the test itself, is somewhere in the range of uh, uh, sixty to eighty Hong Kong dollars per sample. So who's going to do that with the mass testing? Who's going to pay for it? Well, I think uh, the arrangement is that for testing once for a patient who's symptomatic, it is actually free of charge. What would you, the, yeah. What What would your advice be uh, if you've got a family, uh, say you know, say three generations, um, and and nobody's got any symptoms? Would you recommend that? Uh, they get tested, everybody, or just the old people, or what? What, what would be your what would be your your, your advice? Right. Well, I think the government's intention with this plan is to test symptomatic individuals. Okay. So they are not targeting asymptomatic individuals yet. Now, this is controversial, right? In some parts of uh, China, like in uh, Xinjiang or Be or uh, Wuhan or Beijing, people have done mass testing, by which I mean. Everybody needs to have a test. And that is another uh, uh, story altogether. Doing that, what you're doing is you're trying to find out all the asymptomatic shedders as well, potentially having an even more dramatic effect on the uh, duration of the local outbreak because you're catching everyone, symptomatic or not, with COVID-19 and removing them from the transmission pool, so to speak. Now, that has, uh, well... Uh, that so far we have not considered in Hong Kong for various reasons, including the fact that the case number in recent days appears to be trending downwards, so we don't seem to need such a drastic measure yet. So this is simply a measure to improve access to patients with symptoms who ordinarily would have to have long queues or would have to uh, pay a lot of money to get it done. Okay. So that, that would be my advice. Okay, Symptomatic so individuals. 
Okay, for, for people with, who do have some symptoms. Uh, Mr. Yeah. Villanueva, just going, going back to you, uh, we had an, uh, an email from S who says, please ask your guest specifically if there are domestic helpers with a contract who are living in these dormitories permanently under contract with a live-out arrangement where the employer plays for the accommodation. Does that happen? I know, I know, it shouldn't happen, but in reality, does that does that happen? Well, there are some. There are still a few. I mean, a couple of uh, migrant workers who are uh, officially and, and uh, with uh, with uh, permission from the immigration are allowed to to leave out. And I think um, uh, in some cases they would live with uh, you know two or more uh, people in one flat. Uh, and then uh, I think their employers are like you know, sharing the cost of the flat. Uh, we also know some uh, migrant workers, for example, in in uh, 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 outlying islands, that their employers are actually you know getting a, a a flat, although a small one, for their domestic workers. So so, uh, but you know, boarding houses or uh, you know like similar to the ones run by the by the. Uh, uh, what's this? The uh, employment agencies? I don't think so. Like, you know, uh, more than five or more than ten people, uh, that, that, that's not... Uh, I don't think migrant workers would also pay for those kinds of places. Hmm. And are you satisfied in general that, uh, you know, the helpers are being taken into consideration and cared for? There was some concern, you know, like with the home quarantine, when people are, are doing home quarantine, they still would be in touch with their, with helpers. Helpers would still be, you know... Uh, working in close quarters with them and might be susceptible to being infected that way? Well, right now the policy is no longer home quarantine. Mm. Uh, those who are coming in are uh, required to stay in uh, quarantine facilities such as hotels and the employers are supposed to pay for their, you know, uh, for their uh, lodging and as well as uh, provide them with the food. Uh, although we're uh, getting many complaints about uh, more on the food <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Because they are not getting anything, or at least not enough. Okay. Well, Mr. Villanueva, many thanks for joining us. Spokesman for the Asian Migrants Coordinating Body, uh, uh, Umesh. Uh, I think you you thought that he was a guest from the Philippines consulate, and that was the tenor of your uh, email. He, uh, he he's not from the uh, consulate uh, by any means. <laughs> but uh, we're very grateful to Emman uh, Avalonova once again, and thank you to uh, Siddharth Sridhar, clinical assistant professor in the Department of Microbiology at the University of Hong Kong. More on helpers. Uh, after the news at 9, the weather first, mainly fine and very hot with some isolated showers, 29 degrees at the moment, and the relative humidity is at 79%. To the news on RTHK. Welcome back. This is Back Chat on a Monday morning, first one of the week with Mike Rouse and me, Hugh Chiverton. We're talking about the COVID-19 situation and in particular uh, the situation of uh, domestic helpers. This came as uh, last week. Uh, two helpers who had stayed in uh, boarding houses in between jobs were diagnosed uh, with the virus. There are fears of uh, spread of the disease uh, in these circumstances. And uh, uh, we're also talking about other ways that uh, helpers uh, may be uh, susceptible 
uh, to uh, COVID-19. Your thoughts, your comments, uh, observations are very welcome. Please give us a call, 233-88266, if you're a helper or an employer or just have an interest. Um, Or you can always comment on our Facebook page. That's Backchat on RTHK Radio 3, and everyone can see it there. Or you can drop us a line, backchat at rthk.hk, by uh, email. Uh, We're joined for this part of the programme by Mr Chan Tung Fung, who's chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies, and Labour Party lawmaker Fernando Cheung, once again, backchat at rthk.hk, uh, is our email address. Uh, Mr Chan, we'll start with you. Good morning. Good morning, Thank everyone. Thank you for, for, for joining us today. Um, so there, there has been concern about the, uh, the situation of these uh, uh, dormitories or these hostels, these boarding, boarding houses. First, for, first of all, do we know how many helpers there are staying in these, uh, in such helpers, in, in such uh, hostels in Hong Kong? Uh, if according to consulate, uh, actually the boarding house is run by agency. Uh, that's one of the conditions by accreditation from consulate. If by Indonesian consulate and Philippine consulate, suppose there are about 500 to 600 accredited agencies. So uh, we are expecting there are about 500 or so something uh, boarding houses. So if every boarding house accommodates five to Ten persons on average, then there will be about three thousand to five thousand at this moment. That, that's a that's a lot of people, but you know there are also concerns that these are unregulated. Uh, these, these these dormitories, no one is inspecting them, and we don't really know what the conditions, the living conditions, are like now. Uh, would, do you think it's time to to change the arrangements? And if so, what do you and the other employment agencies recommend? Yes, uh, that, that's also the issue for a long time. Actually, uh, Hong Kong government, they never mind about the boarding house. The, the boarding house exists since the arrival of the domestic helpers 40-something, uh, 40 years ago, something. But Hong Kong government never treat this one as an issue because according to Hong Kong government's uh, licensing condition, boarding house is not one of the conditions or requirements to be implemented. It's only the consulate, the foreign country's consulate, uh, requires the permitted agency to run only. That's why uh, sometimes we feel like a street boys in the street, nobody buys it. Only last week when an Indonesian worker uh, was confirmed, it, then that's the time. The Hong Kong Labor Department suddenly uh, changed the attitude. They distribute masks and even ask agency to provide number of workers and they promise to have tested. Right. Quite. <laughs> but, but Mr. Chan, good morning. Um, with this, uh, with the COVID nineteen situation, um, and again with an eye on what happened in Singapore, where large numbers of migrant workers were living together in a quite packed way in these uh, dormitories, um, it is a potential danger, isn't it? Source of danger for everyone. I'm not casting blame on the helpers themselves or even the agencies. It's just a potentially uh, dangerous situation. Uh, I can say the situation right now is alarming, but not really scaring given the number of infected cases over 4,000 in Hong Kong, it's only about few uh, domestic helpers get infected. Of course, 
situation in Hong Kong is a bit different from the one in Singapore. For as what I understand, the foreign labor in Singapore, they are all living together uh, away from their employers. But for domestic helpers in Hong Kong, most of them, they stay with employers and only those stranded uh, waiting for the visa, they are temporarily housed in the boarding houses. So, and also the boarding houses in Hong Kong is what we say is scattering places in different places. They are not concentrated in one location. So uh, the large scale of outbreak among domestic helpers, I don't think so. Do you think mass testing of the uh, residents of these dormitories would be useful? Uh, It helps in some way. Of course, it can help try to find out the silent carrier. But uh, if you want to prevent it from spreading to the employer, at this moment, it doesn't help too much because for one worker to wait for the new visa, it takes about at least three weeks to almost two months. So uh, even today, it's negative after one month or after two months. Nobody knows the situation. So we would like to advise the government, if possible, uh, at this moment, they voluntarily to provide free tests for all stranded workers in the boarding house and before they report duty to the employer, do it again for the second time. Okay, Fernando Chan, good morning to you. Good morning. Thanks for, for, for joining us uh, again. Uh, what's your take on this? Do you think that the government should be taking a bigger role in uh, managing, supervising these uh, these dormitories? Fernando, were you surprised by the numbers Mr. Chan quoted earlier of five to six hundred of these dormitories and maybe four thousand or so uh, occupants? No, I'm not surprised. We understand that um, uh, there are at least that number and maybe more because many are sort of stranded. Uh, the time uh, taken for processing their new employment when they're in transition, for example, has been uh, extended from weeks to months, and uh, therefore they are stuck in these boarding homes. Uh, 
And all along, we understand there are such boarding um, houses, but uh, the, the law does not seem to um, necessarily regulate them. Yes. Now, um, yeah, the, the, the law has to do with the best place apartment ordinance or the uh, hotel and accommodation, uh, uh, guest house accommodation ordinance. Uh, under the uh, uh, Office of Licensing Authority, and this is actually under the Home Affairs uh, Bureau, uh, but they say that if the lease are for more than 28 days, then uh, these places would be exempt from the ordinance. Mm. Um, it, it doesn't make much sense, but that's the loophole. And also, um, frankly, most of these accommodations are in transition and many of them are apparently under 28 days but I don't think we ever saw the authorities making inspections or um, citing any uh, violations of these boarding homes. Is the civil servants working from home including in the immigration department is that is that part of why the pressure is uh, leading to a long delay? Absolutely yes the immigration department much longer time to process the uh, application and, and therefore many of them are stuck in these guest house now. Right. With such a large number of this, this is quite a well institutionalized practice. Isn't there some uh, danger or possibility of leakage of the live-in requirement? That, yeah, and, of course. Uh, we actually understand that the number is higher now. Uh, we're, we're talking about 6,000 to 7,000 instead of um, uh, maybe three to five. Right. Uh, so uh, and all along, uh, the authorities have not looked into it, uh, I think primarily because one, uh, accommodation is transitional. Two, we don't take it seriously. We don't treat migrant workers as human beings. We just think that they are sort of like um, helping hands. They, they are like a machine. They, they're being housed in these cramped, uh, not hygienic places. But who cares? And then, you know, as long as they are processed and they come to, to work for us, uh, that's pretty much it. So, so, so w- when you talk about cramped, unhygienic conditions, do you mean uh, the, the do you mean these hostels, or do you mean the conditions when the when the employer's home? In the no, I, I mean in the boarding place. Uh, you're you're saying they're cramped and unhygienic? Oh, absolutely. Mm. Uh, they're either uh, sleep in extremely cramped uh, bunker beds or they simply sleep in the floor. Uh, we're talking about like uh, 10, 15 uh, migrant workers sharing uh, six or seven mattresses, mattresses on the floor. Uh, it's been reported uh, recently, and but all along, uh, this is the, the practice. Uh, bunker bed in extremely crowded situation. M- Mr. Chan? Yes? Uh, are, are these conditions, are these hostels cramped, unhygienic? Uh, it's quite crowded, yes. But for the hygiene, actually, uh, we have, uh, last, since last week, uh, we have instructed all members to tighten up the hygiene measures. For example, uh, all workers must wear the mask, even stay in inside the dormitory uh they must 
clean the washroom one by one very clearly uh, entirely before the next one going in and most of the dormitories right now we advise them to have a it's like a monitoring management outsiders or strangers are not not allowed to go inside or even the relatives of those stranded people they are not allowed to visit them during the holiday so uh, try to cut them from contacting with outside people. And they are only allowed to go to agency for, for processing or go to immigration for processing. Here, I would rather to advise immigration in two ways. The first one is, if possible, they try to expedite processing, shorten the period of waiting from one or two months to one or two weeks. That would be much perfect. Second, if possible, suppose for those stranded people in Hong Kong, they are they don't have valid working visa, but they are actually uh, with legal permit to stay in Hong Kong. So, if possible, immigration, if they can really think about this issue, they can issue a temporary permit for them to stay with the potential employers. So once the employer really filed in the application or uh, signed the contract, they should allow them to stay with employers, to reduce them staying in the crowded boarding house. Because currently, it's quite impossible to, to solve the crowded boarding house unless someone give money. Otherwise, this is, this is the bad neck. Nobody can solve it. The only thing is we reduce the time to, be, uh, to stay there or let them stay somewhere else, like employer's house. It should be a permit from immigration, of course. Fernando Chung, do you agree? Well, um, uh, that is uh, something that can be considered, but it uh, raises a lot of questions, a lot of problems as well, because we don't know if uh, the um, the employment actually works out. And if it doesn't, uh, then um, you know what what happens to. Uh, that accommodation arrangement. Uh, I think the government still has a lot of uh, vacation holiday camps at hand, and they can use some of these camps that are uh, are considered not appropriate for quarantine facilities. Uh, They can open up these camps and allow uh, these camps to house these, uh, we're talking about the number of uh, probably a few thousand uh, uh, migrant workers in these camps, and uh, that would make it uh, much more humane and, and suitable for uh, fighting the outbreak. I, I thought these, uh, the arrangement now was that new helpers arriving have got to stay for two weeks in a hotel at the yes, employer's 40, expense. 40, yes, for the, for the holiday camp. Actually, in mid-June, when we were first time to propose proposed to the government for all arrival domestic helpers from Indonesia or from Philippines to be housed in camp for the purpose of quarantine. But the government, they told me, they replied to us, there is no such, or there are not enough camping places to house. So now suddenly uh, another 5,000 or 6,000 people stranded to be housed in holiday camp. It's an idea, but uh, I don't think it's 
really practical. <laughs> but what about the living in hotel requirement for two yes, weeks? Uh, that, that's one of the actually that's one of the things happening. Uh, it's based on my personal experience. I have received at least over ten calls from employers. Uh, they are telling me, uh, "Mr. Chen, my my worker is still waiting for the visa, right? Yes. So uh, can I?" ask you to help to house them in hotels or guest houses? Sure, no problem. If uh, employees are willing to shoulder the course, we are ple- we are willing, very willing to help. And in reality, really, we have helped at least over five workers in such cases to let them stay in, in the hotels. But of course, that, that's optional for the employer at this moment. Fernando, I thought that was going to be a requirement for new workers arriving. Yeah, it is a requirement for uh, new workers. Yes, uh, yeah. The hotel accommodation uh, right now is only uh, required from government's requirement. It's only talk about the new arrivals from Philippines, right. from Indonesia. But for those stranded in Hong Kong, there is no such requirement from government. So it's only on optional basis or voluntary basis. Because the hotels are empty and willing to house these people in quarantine. <laughs> yeah, uh, hotels are very welcome. Uh, yesterday, uh, uh, the other day, when I sent one worker to the hotel, the manager talked to me immediately. If you have more workers, please come in. <laughs> I know. But we are waiting for employers. Okay. Uh, some some comment from listeners. Uh, Paisley says uh, the Hong Kong government was initially lauded for its pr- handling of the COVID threat, but the news flow in recent weeks, specifically the loophole regarding sea crews and now the seemingly non-existent supervision of boarding houses, paints a rather different picture, suggesting that the government clearly took their eye off the ball. That comes uh, from uh, Paisley. GT says, uh, it looks like now is a good time to get rid of the central gathering and road closed situation for domestic helpers on Sunday. If we keep this going, then we should have roads closed for office workers together on a rest day. Uh, question mark. That comes uh, from GT. Um, Fernando Chung, in the first part of the programme, we, we were hearing Iman Valenor-Nerva was saying that the police were very heavy handed uh, in, in uh, uh, splitting up groups of uh, helpers in, in, in central uh, at the weekend. Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think that, uh, I mean, it, it's a fact that large numbers of helpers do gather uh, in certain places. Uh, do you think that they, they should be broken up? Well, it is quite obvious that they have uh, a larger number than two uh, in gathering each other with each other over the weekend. Um, the problem is uh, they really don't have a place to go for uh, their resting. And I don't know if it makes sense to stipulate any gathering of two or more, uh, I mean, more than two persons is uh, not uh, hygienic or or that it would be conducive to the outbreak. I think the main thing is for people to um, wear masks uh, and avoid a large number of gatherings. Uh, uh, I think it, it, I, I don't know about it. I, I, I'm not a, a health expert, so I don't know the, the correct number for that uh, in terms of um, how how many people should be allowed to gather uh, outside uh, 
we're not talking about indoor. Uh, uh, so some health expert, experts should give some opinion on that. And of course, I would say that uh, we should not encourage large number of uh, gatherings uh, outside or inside. Uh, but I, I think the police should exercise discretion, given that this group of migrant workers don't really have a place to stay during rest days. Okay, comment from Tom on our Facebook page. Tom says, I've noticed how well-informed and conscientious with mask wearing the helper community is. COVID is a big issue in the Philippines and Indonesia and helpers are very active users of social media and keep themselves informed. Uh, as at least 95% of COVID cases have been traced to extended indoor exposure to an infected person, the Sunday outdoor gatherings are not the risk factor many say they are. Helpers normally meet the same group of uh, small group of friends every Sunday and one could say they're the earliest adopters of the cohort quarantine scheme that comes uh, from uh, Tom. Uh, uh, Mr Chan, finally, I mean, uh, what's gonna, what do you think should be the fate of these uh, of these boarding houses? Can they continue in the same vein that they have been, or do you think we really, we really need to rethink the, the whole arrangement? Just a moment now, we just keep this situation, we just tighten up the hygiene situation, but uh, as what I just mentioned, if, it is, if you want to make it more if, more effective. Hong Kong government or immigration, especially the immigration, try to shorten the waiting period for a new visa. That will help much. In the past, there have been lots of requests by helpers themselves to relax the live-in requirement so that they can stay in small groups in domestic premises somewhere else, off-site. Um, is that issue uh, still alive and current one? Yeah, I think that the, that issue is still alive. Um, uh, but I don't think we could deal with that in the current situation. The, the number one urgent matter is to um, make these boarding places, the boarding houses, uh, sanitary suitable for accommodation and not conducive to outbreak. Uh, so uh, the, to decrease the density of these boarding houses is uh, something that has to be done, not just cleaning them. So we still have to find uh, more places for to house people in transition. Of course, if immigration has shortened the processing time, then the niche for such uh, accommodation would be decreased. Okay, F Fernando Chang, um, I, I said we weren't going to talk about politics, but uh, I can't resist since you're, since you're there. Um, f you know, what's your stance on um, the uh, extension of the Legislative Council for, for another year? Uh, if, if that comes about, uh, and if all members are allowed to return to the Legislative Council, would you return? Would you serve another year? What's your plan? I have chosen not to run again. Yeah. Uh, and so on a personal level, uh, I do not want to continue. Uh, but I would not make that decision on a personal level. I, I would have to um, discuss with uh, the rest of the legislators, uh, also the, the, the ones that have gone through the 
history uh, and also talk, discuss it with the public, with, with my supporters. I think it is a decision, like you said, it is politics. It is not just a, a personal uh, matter. So you know, I, I think I would go along with everybody. We want to be together. Uh, so in, if in the end, uh, we would choose to continue, then, then I would commit. Right. Uh, but, but there's yeah. been some talk that all the pandems should, as a matter of principle, uh, boycott the extension to protest against the cancellation of the elections. Yes, that's certainly something Postponement that uh, of the elections. we are considering, especially if they <laughs> would disallow some of those who are disqualified uh, in this uh, original election. So you would go along with a boycott as well, if that was the majority view? Yes, yes. I think it is important to stick together. Uh, we need solidarity and, and we need to act together. So as I told you rather clearly, for me as, you know, uh, looking at my, my personal needs and uh, the need to take care of my family and so on, uh, I, I don't want to continue. Right, but if the if the view is to continue, you will, and yes. if the view is to stay away, you will go along with that too. Yes. Okay. Okay, that could be very clear. Fernando Chang, thanks very much indeed for joining us, uh, Labour Party lawmaker. Thank you very much to uh, Chan Tung Fong, who's chair of the Hong Kong Union of Employment Agencies. Thank you very much indeed for joining us this morning. Uh, back to politics uh, tomorrow. Derek, in a quick email, says to back chat i'm not sure i see the point of the u.s freezing u.s assets of officials who don't have any assets in the u.s however i see the point if u.s citizens and banks are barred from dealing with sanctioned uh, officials well i think we'll be talking about the sanctions and the arrest of uh, jimmy lai uh, in the uh, program tomorrow look forward to that mike thank you very much for right, so, joining yes, us today. weighty stuff for tomorrow yes interesting times as ever uh, let's uh, leave you now with the latest weather information it's going to be mainly fine today and very hot again. A couple of isolated showers and the very hot weather warning is now in place. Temperatures up to about 34 degrees and the outlook more of the same. Mainly fine, very hot tomorrow. Occasional showers in the following couple of days. The latest readings 30 Celsius and the relative humidity now at 71%. To prevent pneumonia and respiratory tract infection, always keep hands clean and wash hands for at least 20 seconds. Put the lid down before flushing. Add water to U-traps regularly. Cover your mouth and nose with a tissue when sneezing or coughing. Wear a mask and seek medical advice promptly if unwell. Fully cover your nose, mouth and chin with a mask. Visit chp.gov.hk to learn more. 831, the news now with Samantha Butler. Apple Daily has reported that its founder, Jimmy Lai, has been arrested under the new national security law. It says he's accused of colluding with foreign forces and was taken away from his home in Homantin early this morning. The paper says one of Mr Lai's sons, Ian, was also arrested at his home in Saikung. The Secretary for Health, Sophia Chan, says she expects up to 5 million people to take part in voluntary coronavirus testing. She says officials are working out the testing capacity, but the testing should be done within two weeks. And police in Washington, D.C. say one teenager has been shot dead and about 20 other people injured after gunmen opened fire on an outdoor social gathering. The police chief in the U.S. Capitol said they were looking for at least three shooters. I'll have more news at 10 o'clock.
It's time right now on Radio 3 to say good morning to Phil Whelan and his guests on The Morning Brew. Hello. Hello, Phil. How are you? Not too bad at all. Good morning. In the Scottish. Hello. You never Facebook chat with me, Phil. Good morning. It's got the Tom and Jerry type violence. It's a great experience if you just want to get a bit of zen. On your radio and live online, this is The Morning Brew. Good morning. Yeah, and welcome to Monday here on The Morning Brew. I hope you had a wonderful weekend. We're going to start with all things rugby today from Robbie McRobbie, but he's going to be with you a little earlier this week. Super busy, so I'll catch up with him in ten minutes. After 10.30, our New York correspondent, Tracy Kwan, is going to be with us live from the Big Apple. All about Enid Blyton and a bit about COVID-19 today. Go on a couple of books, I guess. At it. 11.40 today, we're going to welcome back extreme traveller Tor Pedersen, whose Facebook and website is called Once Upon a Saga. He is still determined not to just sit around whilst being, quote, stranded in Hong Kong. Now, over the past few days, he has walked a mere one million steps and is undoubtedly now paying the price. We're going to find out anyway. That is after 11.30. 1210, gonna have some live music for you from the stunning, and I really mean that, teenage jazz guitar duo Saxon and Jarvis Whittaker. These guys are absolutely brilliant. Join us on Facebook Live for that one. Emmy the Great to get us going. And Dandelions here on the brew. Oh, it was terrible, the trembling. Soon. 